0: Oh!
1: to the Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This in-depth, one-hour radio broadcast features a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible, as originally taught by Pastor Chuck. Our study today picks up in the book of Luke, chapter 12, verse 7, as we follow along with today's lesson.
2: Jesus, again, is just illustrating how that Your Father is omniscient. He knows all things. And nothing passes Him. And every minute detail of your life is of concern to Him. That's how observant and concerned your Heavenly Father is with you. And therefore... Jesus said, you're worth more, your Father watching over you. Fear not, therefore, because you are of more value than many sparrows. And also I say unto you, still addressing his disciples, whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man confess before the angels of God. But he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. And whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven. But unto him that blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven. So Matthew has and Mark has the warning of the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, coupled with the casting out of the demon of the Uh, man who was deaf and uh, mute and blind, uh, where they attributed the works of Jesus to Beelzebub. And here Jesus again is warning against the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which I believe is the continual rejection of the witness of the Holy Spirit to your heart that you need to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. You see, God has provided only one means by which your sins can be forgiven. And that's through the death of his son. And the Holy Spirit bears witness to your heart that you need to surrender your life to Jesus. And if you disregard that warning, if you do despite to his spirit of grace, That is reaching out and offering you the salvation There is no other means whereby your sins can be forgiven And your sins will either be forgiven and pardoned Because of the work of Jesus Christ Or they will be punished in Gehenna So beware of that Turning your back upon the witness of the Holy Spirit to your heart inviting you to receive Jesus Christ as Lord. And when they bring you unto the synagogues and to the magistrates and the powers, take no thought of how or what thing you're going to answer or what you're going to say, for the Holy Spirit shall teach you in the same hour what you ought to say. Now notice this. Number one, your father... Very concerned with you. He knows the minute details of your life. He's watching over you. You don't have to fear. Secondly, Jesus is going to confess you before the holy angels. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit is going to come to your aid when you're brought before the tribunals and all. You're not going to have to worry about your defense. The Holy Spirit will give you the words of defense. I think that one of the classic examples of of the Holy Spirit uh, really giving the words for defense is found in the book of Acts uh, when uh, Stephen is brought before the council and you read the defense of Stephen before the council and it is absolutely a classic. And uh, so then, of course, Paul, when he stood before Uh, the various uh, judges and all, his uh, answers to them also uh, very classic. And so uh, Jesus said, you don't have to worry about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit will give you in that hour the things that you are to say. So Acts chapter 7, the defense of Stephen. You might read it over with this context. But notice, the father the Son, and the Spirit, all committed to you. Father watching over you, don't have to fear. Jesus confessing you before the holy angels, and now the Spirit there to assist you when you stand before the tribunals. Now, at this point, Jesus is interrupted by someone in the crowd, evidently, not one of the disciples. And one of the company, the crowd that was there said, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. So he's asking Jesus to arbitrate in a dispute between his brother and himself over an inheritance. And Jesus said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And then he said unto them, probably both of the brothers who were fighting over this inheritance, take heed and beware of covetousness. Now, to covet is a sin. One of the Ten Commandments deals With coveting. It is one of the thou shalt nots. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thy neighbor's wife, thy neighbor's servant, or anything that is thy neighbor's. Paul the Apostle said that he really didn't understand this law until the Spirit really quickened it to his heart. Because coveting is something that is not an overt activity. It's something that goes on inside. And he said, I didn't know, you know, that to covet was sin, except the law said, thou shalt not covet. And when he came to the understanding that this is dealing with an attitude, you see, the Pharisee, and as a Pharisee, they always interpret the law in outward things. Thou shalt not murder. Okay, I've never clubbed a man to death, and therefore I'm innocent. But Jesus said, no, no. If you have hatred in your heart for a man, you have the desire to kill him. You know, you're, you're guilty because of the attitude that you have. You say, well, I've never had sex with a, another woman other than my wife. Jesus said, but if you've desired to have sex with that woman, lusted after her in your heart. And so Jesus is saying that the law is spiritual. And it is actually God talking about the things of the heart, the attitudes that you have concerning things, and this attitude of coveting. And there, of course, is is an inner thing, that desire to have that which belongs to someone else. The law, you see, taught the respect for the rights and the property of others. And so he's warning these fellows, beware of covetousness. Here they're fighting over the inheritance, who gets the most, and... Who does it really belong to? And then Jesus set forth this important truth. A man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things that he possesses. How that goes against the common thought of man today because somehow we think that life does consist in possessions and in the abundance of possessions. And people are constantly trying to amass more and more to themselves, thinking that as soon as I can achieve, as soon as I can attain this next goal, then I will be satisfied, I will be content. And and always it's one more thing Just a little bit more. Paul said, godliness with contentment. That's really being rich. It's interesting how that so many times people have amassed such fortunes, but they can't rest. They're constantly seeking more and more and more. A man's life doesn't consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. And now Jesus gives a story to illustrate this truth. He spoke a parable unto them. And I think the them here is to all. Uh, He addressed the fellows and he said, look, beware of covetousness. A man's life doesn't consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. And then to the crowd he, he turns and he speaks a parable and he says The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully Now notice the rich man All of the I am my I, 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 my, my Look at this, my, my <laughs> <laughs> And he thought within himself saying What shall I do because I have no room where to bestow my fruits And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thy knees, eat, drink, and be merry. What a picture this is. A man is prosperous. His barns are full. And he has a bumper crop. And he said, what am I going to do? I have so many things. Now, a man's life doesn't consist in the abundance of things that he has. But I have so many things, I don't have room for them anymore. Go out and rent a storage shed, you know, for my goods. But no, he said, I will tear down my barns and I will build bigger barns and I will fill them with my substance, with my fruit. Now notice, not satisfied. He's got plenty, but he's not satisfied. I've got one more jump to take. And when I make this next move, then, I can say, I've made it. Oh, how that is so true of of human nature. Never fully satisfied, it's always one more. And if I can just make this next step. But when you make that next step, you find that you're empty there. And so it's just, well, one more. And it's always one more. You never arrive. It's always just out of reach. Just beyond. It's once more. And so, as soon as I can build bigger barns and fill it with all that I have, then I can say, soul, you've got it made. Take it easy. You've got it. Plenty for the rest of your life Just eat, drink, and be merry But God said to him You fool Tonight you're going to die And then who will receive Who will inherit all of the goods that you have That was Solomon's problem After he had amassed all of his wealth after he had more cattle than anybody who had ever lived before. After he had made silver as common as rocks in Jerusalem. If you've ever been to Jerusalem, rocks are common. But he had, silver was as common as rocks in Jerusalem under his reign. I mean, he had just everything. He would amassed, he had done all of these things. And then he got to worrying. I'm going to leave it to that dumb kid of mine. And he doesn't have any sense at all. (laughs) He doesn't understand the value of things. He's a spendthrift. He's going to go through this whole, and I've sacrificed and I've worked so hard and I've used my brain to bring all of this to pass and now I'm going to leave it to this dumb kid, you know. I mean, and it bothered him because he's just going to waste it. And it, you know, it took such wisdom and all to, to bring it together. And, and so here are people who are, you know, well, Hattie Green, classic example, amassed a fortune. She died in her day, the richest woman in the world, in her day. She was penurious She had her whole house boarded up except for one room to save on fuel. She then found a flop house, $12 a week, room and board, so she closed up her house and moved into this boarding house. When she bought the paper, after she read it, she would fold it up carefully and give it to her son, and he would have to go out to Central Park and resell it so she could get her nickel back. Yet the richest woman in the world. When her son was out selling again the paper, he slipped on some ice and cut himself. She took him to the free clinic in New York. A doctor recognized her and refused to treat her son for free said he was going to charge her. She got so angry, she took her son out. Blood poisoning set in, and they finally had to amputate his leg. When she died and his sister had committed suicide, he inherited the fortune. And within two years, he had blown it all. All of her sacrifice, all of her Penuriousness. All, of, all of this wisdom, the way she schemed the wall and, and manipulated stocks and so forth to create all this wealth. And the son, bitter, angry, blew the whole thing. Who are you going to leave it to? Are they going to be wise? In their, and so here Jesus said, you, God is saying to this man, you fool. You think that just... You know, that one more step is going to bring you satisfaction, but you're never going to make it. Tonight you're going to die. And then whose will be all of this that you have amassed? And so is he, and here's the punchline, so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This parable is of that person who is just laid up for himself, treasure for himself, and is not rich towards God. He may be the wealthiest man on earth, but he is a pauper as far as God is concerned in spiritual things. Now Jesus again addresses his disciples, and he said, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought, for your life that is anxious thought or don't be worried about your life as far as what you're going to eat and neither for your body as far as what are we going to wear for the life your life is more than meat and your body is more than clothes consider the ravens For they neither sow nor reap and neither have they storehouses or barns and God feeds them. How much more are you better than the fowls? So look around. Here God takes care of his creation. They don't go through all of the... Pain and labor and, and all of laying up goods and all, your father feeds them. And you're worth much more to your father than are the birds. And which of you, by worrying, taking anxious thought, can add to his stature one cubit? If you're short and you're worried about being short, And you just sit there all day long worried because you're so short. (laughs) Which of you, by all of this worry, can add 18 inches to your height? Now, Jesus said, if you then are not able to do that which is the least, why do you worry about the rest of it? Worrying is not productive. You know, all of your anxious thought and worry doesn't produce anything positive. Now consider the lilies. These beautiful anemones that grow all over the Holy Land in the springtime. And we are now in the springtime. We're getting close to Passover. And the hillsides covered with these beautiful scarlet and blue and white anemones. Consider how they grow. They toil not, and neither do they spin. Of course, in those days, the women had to make their own cloth. They would spin the wool uh, and dye the wool and, and, and to make their own cloth. But these beautiful scarlet anemones that cover the hillside, they don't, they don't toil, they don't spin, And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all of his glory was not clothed as beautifully as they are. With all of his wealth and glory and all. He didn't have robes that were as pretty as those hillsides that are just clothed and bathed in the scarlet colors. Now if God will so clothe the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven. As soon as the uh, spring flowers and uh, the, the plants, the weeds and so forth that grow, as soon as they died, they would use them in their fire. There was not that much wood in the Holy Land. And so they would use them in their ovens, and of course it was used as kindling in the oven, so they would they would go out and gather gather these dry weeds and flowers and they would use them for kindling in their ovens. So if God will so clothe the grass which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, they're very temporary they 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 just pass very quickly. Uh, you have a short blooming season for these an enemies just about a month and they're gone. How much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Life is more than that. You don't have to worry about these things. Your father knows what you have need of. He takes care of the ravens. And they don't go to all the problem of gathering into barns, planting and sowing and so forth. And he takes care, he clothes the fields so beautifully. How much more will your father clothe you and take care of you? You don't have to worry about these things. So don't seek what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink and neither be of a troubled mind, doubtful mind, wondering, oh my, what am I going to do? For all of these things do the nations of the world seek after. And your father knows that you have need of these things. Your father knows that you have need of the basic things of life. But you rather seek the kingdom of God. And all of these things will be added priorities. God first. Seek the kingdom of God first. God will take care of these other things if you put him first. Now, what happens if you don't put him first and you put these other things first? Then your whole life will be spent trying to get enough food, trying to get enough clothes, and and that'll be your whole life, and you won't have time for the Lord. All your time will be absorbed in just trying to get by, just trying to make a living, just trying to exist and survive. Whereas if you'll seek first the kingdom of God, your father knows that you have need of these things. He'll take care of them. He'll take care of them much better than you can. And so fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Seek the kingdom. That your father's good pleasure is to give you much more than just clothes and food. It's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So sell what you have and give alms. Don't provide yourself bags which wax not provide yourselves bags which wax not old. A treasure in the heavens that faileth not. Where no thief approaches and neither moth corrupts. Put your investment in eternal things. Invest in the things that are eternal, not in those things that are going to decay, those things that are corrupted. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now Jesus begins to warn them concerning his coming and what should be our attitude in light of the fact that the Lord is coming back at any time let your loins be girded about and your lights burning now you remember the parable of the ten virgins their lights had gone out let your light be burning uh, but then your loins girded now <laughs> this is uh, has to do with that day and and that society and and uh, we, we read in the scripture, gird up your loins. And just what in the world is that talking about? Gird up your loins. Uh, in those days, the men wore robes, usually down to the ankles. And robes that are down to your ankles are difficult to run in. Can you imagine trying to run in a long robe Uh, you'd be tripping over the robe. So whenever they were going to run, they would gird up the robe. That is, they would pull the robe up and they would tie a sash around to hold the robe up so that their legs would be free. The same when you would go to work. Uh, You're wanting the freedom of of getting around, so you would gird up uh, the robe and tie a sash around it and thus girding up your loins Uh, so that you can have freedom of movement. And that's what uh, Jesus is saying. Be ready to go to work. Be ready to, you know, have your loins girded uh, and your lights burning. And you yourselves liken to men who are waiting for their Lord. You're just... There, all set, waiting for the Lord to come through the door that you might serve him. So that when the Lord will return from the wedding and he comes and knocks, you may open to him immediately. You're all prepared. You're all set to serve him. The moment he knocks, you're there. You're ready. You've been watching. You've been waiting. You've been in preparation, set they're waiting for him to come. And blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he comes, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he will then gird himself and make them sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. You remember the night that Jesus had that last supper with his disciples, how that he girded himself and took a towel and went around and washed their feet, how he served them. And so he is saying, if you're ready, if you're watching when he comes, ready to serve him, then he will gird himself and he in turn will serve you. Our blessed Lord. How beautiful. But if he shall come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, still waiting, second watch goes by, he's not come yet, third watch. And when he comes, say, in the third watch, and they are there still waiting. Oh, blessed are those servants. And this know, that if the good man of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and he would not have allowed his house to be broken through. Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you think not. Don't let any man tell you that he knows when Jesus is coming again. So many books have been written in the last few years. So many dates have been set. But Jesus plainly says, be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour when you think not. And I'm always disappointed when people set a date uh, because I know that he's not going to come on that date. And I hate to eliminate any time that the Lord might come, but I have to eliminate that date because they've set it and he's coming when you think not. So the very fact that they think it Uh, disallows him coming at that time. Now, Peter at this point interrupts him. He's talking about his coming, how that they should be ready, they should be watching, they should be waiting. And, And this he's speaking to us. And how much more to us who live in these days as we see almost constantly now One of the major signs of his coming And that is the earthquakes Think of what we've seen just in the last couple of weeks Earthquakes in diverse places And I understand that the World Health Organization Of the United Nations Estimates that 20 million people Will starve to death this year in the world because of the wars and and the calamities that have taken place, that there will be 20 famines. And of course, we know of the pestilences, the AIDS epidemic and all, and the earthquakes in diverse places. So Jesus is saying, look, you be like a servant who's watching, who's waiting, all set, waiting for the Lord to come. The moment he knocks, you'll be able to open the door. That's the attitude that he wants the church to be in, that of expectancy and that of waiting for the Lord. So Peter said unto him, Lord, do you, is this parable for us or is it for everybody? The parable of, of the master coming and the servants waiting. Is that for us or is that for everybody? And Jesus then said, Who then is the faithful and wise steward whom his Lord will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he comes, shall find so doing. Find doing what? Ruling over the Lord's household and giving them their meat in due season." When Peter wrote his first epistle, and Jesus is responding to Peter's question, writing to the bishops or the elders, he said, take care of the flock of God, which is among you. Taking the oversight, not by constraint, but willingly, and not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. And neither as being the Lord's over God's heritage, but examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you will receive a crown of glory that fades not away. So who is the steward that the Lord is going to uh, put over his flock? The one who gives them their meat in due season. The one who loves, takes care of them, tends them, feeds them. This is what the Lord wants. Those, the steward who has been entrusted by the master uh, to watch over the other servants and over the master's things. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he comes, shall find doing this. Of a truth I say unto you, he will make him the ruler over all that he has. But... And if that servant says in his heart, my Lord delays his coming, and he will begin to beat the men servants and the maidens, and he begins to eat and to drink and to be drunken, the Lord of that servant will come in a day when he's not looking for him, at an hour when he is not expecting, and he will cut him in sunder, and will appoint him his portion with unbelievers. A very stern warning by Jesus concerning those that he has entrusted with spiritual things by which they are to feed and to take care of God's flock. They begin to abuse their position. They begin to to use the flock of God. And they begin to enrich themselves and live luxuriously while neglecting the flock. And the Lord will come when they're not expecting, they're drinking, they're abusing the things that God has entrusted them with. And what is going to happen? The Lord said he's going to cut them in two and he's going to give their, their portion will be with the unbelievers. I'll leave you to balance that out with can a person who is a Christian ever be lost? And that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not, neither did according to his will Will be beaten with many stripes. Now, here Jesus is teaching that there will be degrees of punishment in hell. That one who has knowledge of the Lord's will, knows better, and yet doesn't do the Lord's will, will be beaten with many stripes, yet Those that did things, committed things, that were worthy of stripes will be beaten with few. For unto whom much is given, of him shall much be required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. And so a man will be held responsible for the knowledge that he has. Those who have been given much will be held to a higher standard and a greater accountability than those who didn't know. There's the answer to that poor fellow in the dark jungles of Africa who, have ne- who has never heard of Jesus Christ. The Lord will be fair in his judgment and justice will prevail. I'm more interested in the fellow who knows and isn't heeding He's the fellow who is in big trouble. And you ought to be worried about you more than him who is out there in the dark jungles of Africa because you've heard and you know. You're responsible for what you've heard and what you know. God will take care of him, but he'll also take care of you. Unto whom much is given, much is required. And to those men who have been committed much of him, They will ask the more. Now, Jesus speaks about, and is still speaking really about his second coming, but of the effects of the gospel. He's going to speak now of his cross and of the effect that Christianity is going to have. I'm not come, or he said, I am come, rather, to send fire on the earth. And what will I if it is already kindled? He's going to come to bring judgment, to bring fire upon the earth, and already that judgment is being kindled. But I have a baptism. And he's talking now of his death, his crucifixion. I have a baptism to be baptized with. When James and John were asking that they could have places of prominence, one sitting on the left and one sitting on the right, he said, are you able to be baptized with the baptism wherewith I'm going to be baptized? So a reference to, and the word baptism literally means to be dipped in or to be immersed. That's the literal meaning of the word. And he's, he's going to, I have this baptism whereby I'm going to be baptized and how am I straightened until it's accomplished? I mean, there is this realization that he's on his way to Jerusalem and that the cross awaits him there. And this is, this is sort of a dominating uh, factor in his consciousness at this point. I have this baptism. I'm straightened until it's accomplished. Do you suppose that I'm come to bring peace on the earth? I tell you, no, but rather division. For from henceforth, there shall be five in one household who are divided, three against two, and two against three. The father will be divided against the son, the son against the father, the mother against the daughter, the daughter against the mother, the mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. In other words, the gospel is going to bring a division between those who believe and those who reject. And even in households, there will be brought a division between those who are a part of the kingdom of God and those who are not. The division between the believers and non-believers. And then he said unto the people. Now, notice in each, he sort of, Luke sort of tells us, he was talking to the disciples. He was talking to the brothers, and talking to the people. Now he said unto the people, when you see a cloud rise out of the west, over the Mediterranean, they see the clouds building up, they say, oh, we're going to have some rain showers today. And so it is. And when you feel the south wind beginning to blow, you say, oh, it's going to be a hot day, and it comes to pass. Sort of like when our Santana is beginning to blow. It's, ooh, going to have some hot weather, you know. Uh, but he said, "You hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it that you do not discern this time? You see, they should know that the time for the Messiah has come. Had they really read the Scriptures?" They would have known that it has been 483 years since the commandment to went forth to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. 483 years. And according to Daniel's prophecy, from the time of that commandment to the coming of the Messiah the Prince, the commandment to restore would be 483 years. This is the 483rd year. You have enough sense when you see the clouds rising over the Mediterranean. You say, Oh, we're gonna have some rain showers. You feel the south wind begin to blow, you say, Oh, it's gonna be a hot day. You can discern the skies and the earth. You understand these things, but you don't understand the most important thing these times in which you live, the time for the Messiah. In other words, the Lord expected them to know that the time for the Messiah was coming. It was there. It was upon them. And I believe that the Lord expects us to know the times of his coming again. And surely, as we see, as we mentioned earlier, the earthquakes and the pestilences and the famines, we should realize that we are getting close to that hour, and we need to be watching, we need to be ready. Servants who are prepared to immediately open the door to welcome the master when he returns. Yes, he said, and why even of yourselves do you not judge what is right? You ought to be able to judge among yourselves, those things which are right, those things which are honest. When you go then with your adversary to the magistrate, and as you are in the way, give diligence that you may be delivered from him, lest he hail you to the judge, and the judge delivers you to the officer, the officer casts you into prison. I tell you, you will not depart from there until you have paid the very last mite. So uh, the warning of Jesus that we ought to settle our differences and seek to settle the differences. Paul rebuked the church of Corinth because they were going before the earthly magistrates suing one another. And Paul said, you know, the church ought to judge in these matters. Don't you know that we're going to be judging angels? Talk to any attorney today and they will warn you about going into court because you never know just how unrighteous the judgment may be that comes forth from the court system. We're watching right now, aren't we? (laughs) To see how righteous the judgment is going to be. Uh, So, a lot, a lot, a lot there in chapter 12 for us to mull over and think about. Let's turn now in our Bibles to Luke's Gospel, chapter 13. There were some present at that season that told Jesus about some Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said unto them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were sinners above all of the Galileans because they suffered such things? It's an interesting thing that so often when tragedy strikes, we are prone to think that immediately it is God's judgment upon us. And that when tragedy strikes a group of people, we sort of look at it as God's judging them. Surely they must have done something evil, something wrong. They're being judged of God. This issue was sort of addressed in the book of Job in the Old Testament, where Job went through such great affliction. And the friends of Job came to comfort him. And their assumption, their basic assumption was that Job was a sinner. Had done something horrible, done it secretly, but now God is punishing him because no man can suffer the things that Job has suffered except it be punishment from God. Now the book of Job should once and for all settle that issue. Fortunately, in the case of Job, God gives us an insight to the spiritual background of the whole situation so that we recognize that it isn't a judgment of God against Job that has created the problems and the suffering that he is going through. Now, with the people who came to Jesus, and it would seem that there were certain Galileans who came down to the feast in Jerusalem, and the Galileans were known as uh, hotheads, uh, revolutionaries. And uh, perhaps they had started some kind of a insurrection against Rome there at the feast. And so Pilate had them slain, and their blood was mingled with the blood of the sacrifices that they were offering. But Jesus said, because of this, do you think that they were greater sinners than the rest of the Galileans? And he said, I tell you, no. This wasn't as, uh, because they were sinners. But except you repent, Jesus said, you will likewise perish. And then because the, the Judeans, those who lived in Judah, those who lived in Jerusalem, looked at, those in Galilee, they sort of looked down upon them. Uh, They would call them the Galilee of the Gentiles. And uh, they sort of looked down on the Galileans as less spiritual. And thus they bring up to Jesus the Galileans. But Jesus brings up a tragedy that took place in Jerusalem. Now at the lower end of the city of Jerusalem was the pool of Siloam. And the pool was fed by waters from the spring of Gihon through a tunnel that Hezekiah had uh, dug through the rock in order to bring the water into the city. Now evidently, and we don't know anything historically about this, but evidently there was a tower there at the pool of Siloam that collapsed and when it did, 18 people were killed as the tower collapsed. And so Jesus makes mention of that. Those 18 upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. You think that they were sinners above all of those that dwelt in Jerusalem? Were they the worst sinners? Was this judgment of God singled upon them because they were the worst sinners? No, Jesus said. And except you repent, you will likewise perish. And then he spoke a parable. And he said there was a certain man that had a fig tree that was planted in his vineyard.
1: We'll return with more of our in-depth study in the book of Luke in our next broadcast, as Pastor Chuck focuses his attention on sinners and repentance. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, I'd like to remind you that if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Luke 12 through 13 when visiting the Word org. And while you're there, we encourage you to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, all this can be found at thewordfortoday.org. If you'd like to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673.
2: Shall we pray? Father, thank you for the light and the understanding that you give to us. And Lord, help us to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, that hypocrisy, wearing a mask, seeking to appear to be something we really aren't. And help us, Lord, to beware of covetousness, realizing, Lord, that our lives really don't consist in things, but the true life consists in Thee. And thus, Lord, may may we be rich in the things of the Spirit, the eternal riches. And Lord, help us that we might be watching And that we might be ready So that when you come, Lord We will be ready and waiting Doing, Lord, what you have called us to do Tending over your flock Giving them their meat in due season Faithful, Lord In your word In Jesus' name we pray
1: This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California.
0: Undoubtedly, one of the most glaring signs that our society is in trouble is the breakdown of the family unit. Marriages just aren't making it today, and kids are suffering as they watch the breakup of their homes. Those marriages still holding together are often plagued by conflict and turmoil, making the home a battleground instead of a refuge. That's why The Word for Today would like to present Pastor Chuck Smith's Marriage and Family MP3, where Pastor Chuck discusses basic biblical principles to keep a family's love alive. Each member of the family has a different set of needs and responsibilities. And when you know and apply God's principles, everyone in the family can experience real peace, real joy, and an agape love. To order your copy of the Marriage and Family MP3 by Chuck Smith, call The Word for Today at 800-272-WORD or visit
1: us online at thewordfortoday.org.